desires for us to call him Father, desires for us to be his children. It is to thee we pray this morning with assurance as thy children, holding our faces up to the brightness of thy light, dear Father, asking for that light to shine down in our hearts, to show us who we are, dear Father, as, as fallen creatures, dear Father, and who we are in the light of thy grace, thy children made new. Mortal beings that have great and exceeding precious promises that we cling to, dear Father, and that allow us to pray to a God, and allow us to be strengthened and to be, to go on in this life, to do the things that thou wouldst have us do. Dear Father, we're so thankful for this moment. We realize it is um, not a matter of, of the emotions that we can summon or the feelings or the acts that we can do, dear Father, but as we come in faith, simply believing thy word, thou dost the work. Thou dost the work in our hearts. Thou dost propel us, motivate us forward, dear Father. We walk by faith and, and by love, dear Father, so that we are able to, to first of all, love and, and help each other, and then we are able to be a witness to the watching, waiting world that is in so many ways asleep. Dear Father, we thank thee for this, this morning hour. We thank thee for thy word, which we have here on these written pages that we can open and read now. We thank thee for the promise and the, and the actual reality of thy spirit that will make these words come alive, that will speak to us in that distinctive voice that is not uh, a voice that is anyone else's, but is the voice of thy Holy Spirit, the voice of God himself, speaking into the hearts of his children and those, dear Father, that would become his children, those that hear that voice. Dear Father, we thank thee for this moment. We pray for those that are uh, that cannot gather this morning hour, that are, are weak and uh, frail. Dear Father, we pray for them too, and uh, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. For this morning's meditation, let's turn to uh, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, the letter to the 2 Corinthians, the first chapter. Second Corinthians chapter 1, starting with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. 
or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world, and more abundantly to you, word. For we write none other things unto you than what ye read or acknowledge, and I trust ye shall acknowledge even to the end. As also ye have acknowledged us in part, that we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. And in this confidence I was minded to come unto you before, that ye might have a second benefit, and to pass by you into Macedonia, and to come again out of Macedonia unto you, and of you to be brought on my way toward Judea. When I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness? Or the things that I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh, that with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay? But as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us. Now, he which establisheth us with you in Christ, and hath anointed us, is God who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth. Not for that we would have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. I read to the end of the chapter. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Bow down and worship the Lord together. This morning, Lord, we come to the one who has a power to raise us from the dead. Lord, in your hands, we need not fear. Nothing can threaten us. Not death, not the devil, not destruction, not damnation. You have overcome all these things. Father, we seek to follow you 
on that path to victory. Lord, we need to die to ourselves, to our pride, to our self-will, to our complacency, to all the false things that prop up our ego and control that you can raise us not only from death to life but into heavenly places to be seated with your son Jesus Christ Father we all sense that you have more we are designed and built and created for more Father help us not to be satisfied with so little to play as it were with mud cakes in the street rather than be taken to the true seashore of your heavenly kingdom. Father, we ask that you would speak to us through your living word this morning. Lord, we need truth. We need a living truth, not just data, information, point of view. We need your word that is alive to penetrate the dullness and transform us. Speak to us through your servant. Inspire him. Meet his needs also. Father, we're thankful that we have this body that we can be a part of, that we can support one another. We just want to be mindful this morning for our friend Janos, who's worshipped with us these many years. Lord, he is in the hospital and in need of your healing touch. We bring him before you, that you may work in him and through him and around him, even through the medical staff, that you'd guide their decisions and even in his own body. Father, you know there are many who are unable to be here this morning, many who may be fighting infirmities of the flesh and Father, we ask for a blessing upon them as well, those who may have many reasons, those even who are desiring to serve in other places. Father, encourage and strengthen and bless them also. Father, we pray that your word would not be bound, that this virus would not suppress the truth of your word Lord, that it would stir us up to a deeper hunger and that we may spread that word more virulently that, that it may indeed cover this world before you return, that the life-giving power may spread greater than the death-bringing disease. Lord, we know that sin has spread universally we pray that your grace could also spread and that we could be carriers effective carriers of that grace and truth and healing that this world so desperately needs we pray this in jesus name amen Permit me to, um, to begin the meditation by um, 
by an analogy, maybe a poor analogy, but one that springs to my mind as we, as we read this word. If you were to attend a, a music concert, a classical music concert, something um, of substance, music of substance, and um, you were to listen to the music, and um, I'm sure if it was your first time hearing it, it would be enjoyable, but I can assure you that the more you listen to that music, uh, the more you become familiar with it, the more your enjoyment will increase. That's been my experience. When, it, when I've known something beforehand, if, I, if I've gone to hear an orchestra or something like that play and then hear the music, there is so much more appreciation as I see the whole scope of the work, I see the different development, what's happening. Um, and so it is with the Word of God that as you, this chapter that we've read may be a bit of a blur to you, um, maybe because of lack of familiarity. And I say that to myself too. Many times I read through something or I've um, attended a service and we read a chapter and wow, that was so much in there. Well, familiarity with it, rereading of it, um, will do something not only to increase your enjoyment, um, but to extend the analogy even further, you uh, experience that music in a much deeper, better way as you play it. As you actually get the score and then you sit down, in my case at a piano or something like that, and, and you play through it and you begin to, to um, take that melody and then put of yourself into it. And so it is with the Word of God, that as, as we live these things that we've read, um, as we, be, we first understand them, what God is requiring of us, and then as we live them, our, our enjoyment, and enjoyment is not the right word, I'm looking for something else, becomes richer and fuller. So, uh, so it should be this morning that as we read this, maybe this is uh, not familiar to you or, or familiar just at a passing passage, that means the Lord is calling you to, to experience it deeper and to experience the treasures that are in his word, the promises that he has for you. It's clear that the, the apostle uh, Paul that wrote this, he didn't intend this even when he wrote it, and certainly the Holy Spirit didn't intend it for just that church, that one church at Corinth. He said, with all the saints were, which are in all Achaia, and if I understand my Greek ge geography, that's the whole isthmus, the whole Corinth is the beginning of that, uh, the, the, the narrow point of that um, landmass, and then there's a whole larger landmass that's associated with that large city. So he intended his letter likely to be passed around, to be read in the different churches, as we are doing this day. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, unto all the churches of God. The standard greeting, and you look through all the letters that he writes, the standard greeting he opens with is grace, be to, grace and peace. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father. And um, it's not a formula. It's not a, just some standard sort of... Um, like we would maybe use in a formal letter, dear so-and-so, dear Mr. So-and-so. And the dear is entirely formal 99% of the time. There's not a, um, I'm sure there isn't a real sense of uh, intimacy when we write those letters. That's just the formal, that's the custom. That's not the case with this. This is uh, written by someone who knows through the, through the wisdom that's been given to him through the Holy Spirit exactly what each of these believers in each of these places needs and he always begins with grace and peace and we need that we need that as an assembly we need that individually we need to practice that grace with each other and where it's absent things uh, start to stutter they start to to um, 
to, to uh, grind and, and friction builds up where that grace is not actively exercised among us. And um, maybe it's something that we need to be both, both more conscious of and less conscious of in the sense of when the situation calls for it, when someone, a dear one has done something to us that we may not like to, to, to realize consciously, the Lord is asking me to exercise grace at this point and less consciously in the sense of it should be part of our daily. We should be giving the benefit of the doubt and maybe not even thinking so much about it that I'm giving the benefit of the doubt to this brother. Just let's assume the best of him. That's the, the unconscious grace. And as a result of that, peace will come. Peace between us and among us. Whenever there are any ruffles or any um, disturbances, uh, that grace that is applied will bring peace again. The, the stream will sm flow smoothly. It's interesting that right from these first several verses, the greeting, the opening, and the, the invocation of God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, he goes right to, in, at the end of verse 3, to the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And then he spends some time, some verses on this topic of comfort. And that's kind of what my thoughts were before the service, as I meditated on this passage, um, that we all need comfort. And particularly, you know, when we read uh, an example of someone like Paul in, in Acts, and then all these other letters that he writes, and the amazing things that he did, the things that he suffered, this, this super Christian, as it were, Satan may use that as a, as a, as something to, to, to uh, distance us from him and by extension from Christ to think, well, that was just him. He was an apostle. He was special. He was called out. He was full in, all committed. And here I am struggling with X or Y. What's the connection between, the, between us? What does he have to share? And um, God has a reason for every scripture, every letter that's in this book that we have between the, the, the covers of this, the, this book and I think maybe part of the reason for this epistle is to show us this side of Paul, the, the, the side of Paul that needs comfort. This is the epistle where he gets maybe the most personal and the most intimate about his struggles, his thorn in the flesh, his, uh, his own um, struggles with the, the church at Corinth that just didn't want to acknowledge him and, and the, the role that God had clearly given him. And he opens up his heart. And he does it right off the bat here. And so I think just the fact that he's brought this topic up should give us comfort. This is a man that also needs comfort. This is a man that also, as he describes it, we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life, in verse 8. This is a man that was at the same place that you have been and maybe currently. And that should be a source of comfort right off the bat. But intertwined with this, and that's... Um, what really struck me about these verses about comfort, intertwined with this, inseparable from it, is suffering. There is no comfort without suffering. The kind of comfort that maybe you're thinking you need, maybe is not attainable but by suffering, but through that suffering, that godly suffering, the, the suffering that's designed for your good. 
Because that's how Paul experiences it here. He experiences that comfort in his tribulation, who comforteth us in all our tribulation. That as we are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. These things are inseparable. And it's not that um, pain in and of itself is some form of um, um, just it'll make you holy on its own and pain is good. That, that would just be some sort of uh, asceticism or, or a stoicism where you just think, well, pain is worthy and therefore it's got its own moral intrinsic value. I don't think that's the nature of God. It's as we take those painful situations, whatever they may be, health-wise, emotionally, relationally, uh, financially, whatever, those situations that cause us pain, and as we suffer them in a Christian manner and for Christ, that we experience that comfort. And even more so, the, the culmination, as it were, of that is, is the suffering for persecution for his namesake. This concept of suffering that, that he talks about here, I think it's bigger than persecution. It definitely includes persecution, but it, it includes all aspects of our life where we are called to suffer in a, in a Christian manner. And what, what I mean by that is looking to God through that, honoring him through that. So, brother and sister, if you are going through some uh, sickness or some illness or, or, or some very difficult trial that to you does not seem to have a connection to how is this um, working for God's glory or how is it, uh, you know, suffering for the name of Christ, if you determine within yourself, if you submit to the Holy Spirit within you to suffer that in a Christian way, as Christ would, giving honor and glory to God, that will work for God's glory and your benefit. You will experience that comfort that he talks about here. What I find amazing here is, is that Paul, right from verse 4, he talks about the, the comfort that he has received in his tribulation, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. So it moves, the focus moves off him to allow what he has learned and what he has gained and what the, what the, the Holy Spirit is ministering to him through this suffering to be a benefit to others. so that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. And what this also means is that God's means of comforting you, and maybe we should spend some time defining that, his means of comforting you may be through another person. It may be through the, the comfort that they have gained of God. And maybe you need to draw near or allow that other person, that other believer to draw near to you to comfort you, to minister to you. If you're resisting that, that may be resisting God's means of, of ministering to your, to your soul and to your spirit. This word comfort here. I think we all, uh, we all desire comfort. And we all find that in different ways and means. But what the scripture is talking about here is not that physical, that emotional sort of comfort, that warm, smooth, ah, now I have a, a moment of peace to myself, I can relax, whether it's that inviting couch or that maybe that diverting movie or uh, whatever it is or that article, something that can allow me to be comforted, to be, to be a little bit distracted, to, to, to ease the pain of whatever I'm going through. 
Because any of us who are honest with ourselves know that that's just temporary. It comes to an end. The movie ends, whatever. We have to wake up. We have to get up. That comfort is just a temporary, transient thing. The comfort that this scripture is talking about is the, the strengthening comfort, the alongside that, that um, uh, I think it's actually connected to the, 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 the word for the, the comfort of the Holy Ghost, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside and, and, and encourages and exhorts. That's the comfort that, that the, the Holy Spirit that, uh, through Paul is talking about here. That's the comfort that you and I really need, not the, the warm, fuzzy, Let's just ignore everything, ignore my present realities for a bit, and then I can kind of escape for a bit, because we know that that's just, that's temporary, it doesn't last. The comfort we need is that bedrock assurance that we, when we realize, regardless of what my emotions may be, regardless of what this present circumstance may be, uh, what I think the future is, God's promises are sure. In him, they're all yes, they're all amen. What I've been given already, the anointing I have at the end of the chapter here, the, the seal I have, the, the down painting of the Holy Spirit, that's my comfort. And that produces, it then does in, in me so often, produces those emotions, the, 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 the establishment, the, um, the security, the sense of security that I know that nothing can move me from that, that I am comforted in Christ Jesus. That's the, the, the spiritual comfort we're talking of here. Paul is so gracious to these believers in Corinth. And I think if, if you're familiar at all with the, with the first uh, epistle, the one before this to them, and then even the rest of this passage, you, you know some of the, the challenges and some of the confrontations that uh, Paul had with these believers. They didn't want to regard him. And he, he said, I've even become a fool in, in, in doing this and listing out all the things he'd gone through for this group of believers that in many ways were, um, thought they were, they were it, that they were sufficient, they were gifted, uh, they, were, uh, they had it all together. They, they liked the eloquent speakers and the, the, the polished presentations. And the... But he was so gracious to them in this verse 6 here. in calling them into his sufferings and saying, whether ye be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. So even if their lives were not, you know, side by side comparison, and you say, well, these believers in Corinth, they were, Paul was in a complete another league by himself. That's not how Christianity operates. We don't do a tiered system. You know, we got the super apostles, we got Paul up there, and then we have the other early church fathers, and then we go on down the list, and you and I are somewhere down here. It's all one body. And, and the, the, the grace that's ministered to us and among us is to call us to all that. To, 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 we experience the same things. We experience the same spirit. We will experience the same sufferings, even if we don't get shipwrecked or go through all the things that Paul did. Because otherwise we will read this and we'll get to a place where, sadly, some churches have where the saints are up on some alcove in the church. That was Saint so-and-so. And and I'll pray to them and and that'll be, um, they'll intercede for me. And that misses so much of the point. That misses the heart and the intent of these letters, of of God's word. That the, the things that this man experienced, I am to experience also. I am experiencing now in the same way. 
I look at my comfortable life, my easy life, as it were, and I think, oh, what's, what's, the, what's the same, what is the same thing with Paul? What, do I, what commonality do I share with him? But as I, through the Spirit, um, embrace the sufferings that God brings my way, and they will come, whether it is persecution or whether it is some other affliction or ailment, as I embrace those, I will experience that same experience. Paul was, uh, he didn't, um, there's a bit of a, a reticence, I think, sometimes among some of our older believers that have gone through um, real experiences, tough experiences, that sometimes they don't want to uh, relate that. It's, it's maybe the temptation would be to glorify themselves or whatever. And that's a, real, that's a real danger and something we need to be careful that when we give a testimony of God's goodness, it never comes back to us and, you know, that, wow, I, I was so spiritual and I was so good. But the other side of that is that we need to recount when God has been faithful, when he has done those things in our lives that are only his doing, cannot be counterfeited for anyone else. And, and the brother that we, and sister that we visited uh, yesterday, some of the experiences that he shared, I wish other people could hear them. I, I, half-minded to, to write them down, some of the things he went through and experienced, because they're so clearly testify of God's goodness and grace. And Paul, in the same way, he recounts the same, we would not have you be, to be ignorant of our trouble, what they went through, the sufferings, and this brother related these, the things, the pain, the real uh, difficulties he experienced in his life with tears. It was, you could tell, it was still painful in a lot of ways for him. They were lifelong burdens that he carried as a result of, of the things that he experienced. But it was also equally clear through, the, as he recounted those things, how God had sustained him, how God was with him through, through a life that, that you and I would just, we would shake our heads and to, 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 to think that the things he experienced at all, this, this brother, and yet God still called him, and yet God still worked, and he still was able to humble himself and come back to that Heavenly Father. So Paul's experience in the same way. He, he, he doesn't... Um, he doesn't cover it up. And in doing so, uh, let's flip and, and read some of these things. Right, right at the end of this letter, near the end, verse, uh, chapter 11. I think he, he, he verse 23 here, he, he makes careful to, to illustrate, to show here that, he, that he's not doing this out of a sense of, um, of pride. You know, let's list, I'm going to list all the things that I've suffered and that make me... Uh, qualified now as, as a minister. Um, but he does it out of a love and out of a, a desire to reach those Corinthians who are blinded in a lot of ways to what really following Jesus Christ is. He has to lay it out for them. He says, I, be, I speak as a fool here. Verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? You want to do some comparison here? Let's do some hard comparison. I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times I received, received I 40 stripes save one. 39 lashes uh, of, of his fellow Jews. Five times. It's five separate occasions. I'm sure that was just a, each one of those would be a horrible experience. Thrice, three times was I beaten with rods. I don't even know what that entails entirely. Once I was stoned, uh, that's recorded in Acts, 
Thrice I suffered shipwreck. Three times, so we have one recorded in Acts, but there was another two times. A night and a day I have been in the deep. I'm not even sure if that was referring to the account in Acts because it seems like they just, a night and the day I've been in the deep, I don't know if that was on the water or what. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is offended, and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. And that's really uh, what comes out of a godly testimony. Is that it was through my weakness God worked. It was through uh, my failures, through my relying on him, clinging to him and him alone, that he worked some amazing things that could have been done no other ways. And I think that's the comfort he talks of here. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead. This is the means, whatever it takes, this is the means by which I come to realize that I cannot rely on myself. I need to trust wholly in God. That should be our, our prayer for each one of us, that, that whatever we experience, we come to that realization and be comforted in that, that means. And, and then verse 11, he talks about the importance of prayer. There's, there's many other things in this chapter, and, and we're uh, getting short on time. But he, he actively asks for those prayers, ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. This was important to Paul. It should be important to us that we actually ask for, we, we solicit the prayers of other people. When was the last time you asked for prayers? And not in a, let's not discount it, but not in a, in a general way, but maybe specifically. I have to ask myself that. When was the last time I asked for specific prayers for my life, or maybe something I was going through? Maybe that's a means of comfort that, that the Lord wants to extend to you, and um, you're blind to it. And then in, in verse 12, and, and I think through the rest of this chapter here, the apostle swings to something I think that he alludes, alluded to that end of that last passage we read about that care of the churches and, and the, the burden that he had for this church at Corinth. The, uh, um, I remember a, a Bible lesson several years ago by Brother Allen where he laid out the chronology of these epistles. And it's clear that there's another letter that's either been lost uh, is not recorded, or we don't have uh, today, in between the first and second uh, Corinthians, that was a severe letter that he alludes to. And you can sense in all of, in all of this, and then his talk about Titus going and, and his concern, and, 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 and he had no rest because he didn't know, um, you know, when Titus didn't come uh, back, that real burden that he had for this church. 
I mean, there is one thing, I think, to experience things on a personal level, to experience the, the physical things that he did, the beatings and things, to experience that as painful as that can be. And then there is another thing to have your heart extended, pulled out of you, as it were, as you see the struggles of other believers and you, and you desire the best for them and you know what their problems are and you, and you know where they're falling and you wonder, are they going to make it? That must be another level of suffering and another level of, of burden. And I think maybe I'm going to experience that more as, as a parent as I get older, uh, as my kids get older, that level of, of spiritual suffering, as it were, as, as your heart gets pulled out of you, as you see um, what happens. And because it, it's no longer just you. It's, it's no longer uh, just you and the Lord. It's, 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 um, it's another person who has their own free will. And I think that was a burden for, for Paul in all of this. And that's why I think he spent so much time here. He has to now defend. It looks like if you read the, the rest of the, the, this chapter here, there was people that were, were, were saying he was double-minded. He was wishy-washy. Was he, he promised to come and he didn't come. He's, he's, maybe they were cynical about this or maybe they were uh, deliberately trying to um, tear him down, some of the people there. Look, he said he would come. He, he, he promised he would come. Maybe he's referring to the end of the previous epistle where he said, I would like to stop by you um, on my way into Macedonia. Uh, now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. Um, and he, evidently he didn't. I don't know if it was um, a second time or, or, or however the, it works out, but he didn't come to them yet. And as a result, he was being torn down in, in their midst in, in Corinth. There were people that were, were maybe attacking him or using this. He's like, oh, Paul is, he says yes and yes, and then he says no and no. And Paul's response to that is, first of all, this is an example for us. He, first of all, he points to God. He points to the character of God. And he says, God is not yes, yes, no, no. God is yes. Everything in him is true. There's no turning in him. There's no, uh, uh, let's change our minds about things. All the promises of God in him, in Jesus Christ, are yea, and in him, amen. That amen means so be it unto the glory of God by us. And as a result of that, Paul can say, I'm not yes, yes, and then no, no. I'm also um, the same character. God has given me the same character. And then he clarifies, he tells them, the reason I haven't come to you, verse 23, is I came because I, I want to spare you. I want to give you a little time to reconsider. I want to give you a little time maybe for this letter that I'm writing to you now to work in your hearts, to realize what's, uh, what you've, where you've fallen short. The promises of God in him are yes. And then he, in those few two verses there, he just gives us so, uh, such a superabundance of what God has promised. All the yeses in God. He has established us. Now he which establish, establisheth us with you in Christ and anoints us. He, he has given us that anointing of his Holy Spirit. He has sealed us. He has given us an identifying mark. Every believer that calls on his name has that mark of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's a mark of identification. It's a mark of protection, too. You know, you don't tamper with a document if it's got the seal of the king on it. You don't change things or discard it lightly. It has the seal of the king. Each believer has that seal. And he's given us the 
earnest of the Spirit, the down payment, the deposit. When someone's serious about something, they'll put a large chunk of money down before they buy the whole thing. They're not going to walk away from it. God is not going to walk away from each one of us who are his children. The promise he has given us of the Holy Spirit is that demonstration in our hearts. I would encourage you uh, in the, this coming week to get familiar, as it were, with the score, the musical score of this, this letter. And um, I intend to do the same. I intend to, to continue to read through it and, and to meditate on it, to see where Paul's heart was uh, in, in being poured out for the service of the Lord. Uh, I think this will be a means for your comfort this coming week. If you are struggling, comfort, strength, moving beyond whatever fears may bind you, whatever um, struggles you may be going through. As you read this scripture, I think it's going to become clear to you God's intention, his purposes for you. I think it's interesting that the chapter closes here at the end with, with Paul being clear that in the end, you know, even though he's an apostle, though he's an anointed, uh, he's a, um, a special messenger of, of the Lord, he doesn't have dominion over your faith. Not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy. So even this apostle Paul, and then much less anyone who came after him, no one has dominion over your faith, has control over it in the sense of either that they can tell you... Um, uh, that they can control your faith, it has to be founded only on the word of God, not on the faith of another person, not on, on what they may say in the sense of, 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 of um, each one of us individually has to walk by faith. If, it's wrong, if we don't have the faith to do something and someone else says, ah, it's, it's okay, better not go ahead and do that. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And I think Paul makes that clear here. It's, it's, we don't want to have dominion over your faith to control your faith. We want to help you to walk in a way that's honoring and worthy of the Lord. May he do that to each one of us and, and, and make it clear to us where we need to be both comforted and where we need to be called to embrace those sufferings that the Lord has, has called us to embrace. Uh, one word more to those outside of Christ, to those that are, are reading this and wondering what their part is in all this. I think the Lord wants you to listen very carefully to, first of all, what your conscience is saying, how, how you've been maybe repressing that, the places and the things and the thoughts that you know are wrong, and then repent of that, and then listen and ask for that Holy Spirit to guide you. You need to get, all of us are called, but you as an unbeliever need to get to the place of verse 12, the testimony of our conscience. Simplicity, godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom. You will never, you will never get to the place of, of a walking as a child of God by means of fleshly wisdom. And that fleshly wisdom may not be, when you're depending on it, it may not be apparent to you. It may be just, well, this is my reasoning and, and this is the way it seems to me. It needs to be clear, made clear to you that that is fleshly wisdom. And that's not the wisdom that comes from God's Holy Spirit. 
May the Lord make that clear to you where the wisdom that you're relying on is fleshly wisdom, even, even your understanding of salvation or God's word or how everything all fits together. May he make that clear to you and, and uh, the cry of your heart may be to be filled with, with, with God, to be humbled by him, to be broken so that you may experience this abundant life that Paul talks to about, this conversation in the world, which is more abundant uh, to everyone, which, which exceeds and abounds in every way. So that, verse 14, we also may rejoice in the day of the Lord Jesus. May the Lord add to his word what was lacking. May he make uh, clear to us where we are not, uh, where we're running maybe from those sufferings, running from those things that are uh, difficult, but he wants us to embrace as Christians. Uh, and may we experience the comfort that comes from, from walking in that way that pleases him. To God be all honor and glory. Amen. Just to uh, let you know that that was uh, Brother Zarco Silva who calling from Winnipeg to extend greetings to the church. Um, wanted to know what the passage was. I think maybe the timing, the t time change, didn't realize we were an hour different, but he extends greetings to the church. Um, we've heard about the passionate plea of, of Paul as he led not by words only, powerful words, but by example. An example that reflected our Lord Jesus Christ. And he, he spoke of comfort, but comfort that comes after suffering. That there, there's some level of comfort that cannot be appreciated without suffering. There is life that cannot be attained without death. And it, it seems perhaps counterintuitive, scary, uh, for people who want to play it safe, who, who want to stay in control, who don't want to uh, be vulnerable, who don't want to trust. But it is true. Jesus himself learned obedience to the things that he suffered. We read in Hebrews, there, there's God himself participated and, and we understand and relate to him and he can comfort us now because he understands our suffering. Uh, I, I remember, you know, the, understanding this passage so much more deeply when, again, we went through the difficulties with Josiah's health and you could tell people who have really suffered, people who have gone through difficulties in life, many people came up to us and, and, and would and try to encourage and, and share and you know give us positive words and you could tell the depth and the sincerity and the realness uh, of those people who had actually suffered and they, the comfort they could give was, was genuine was tested, was true, was deep. You know, versus, you know, someone who may be just saying the right words but has never experienced it. And so there's a comfort that you receive when you 
go through suffering that you're able to genuinely minister to others. And so we don't, we, we, we shouldn't think our goal is to, to stay safe. Uh, I always think of the passage in John chapter 12 where, where Jesus was being, you know, interviewed by the Greeks shortly before his death. And he, he's obviously got a lot in his heart. And he says, you know, the seed that tries to stay safe on the shelf, high and dry, abides alone, has no fruit, there's no, nothing results from that life. But the one that lets go and falls to the ground and has that protective shell cracked open and, and germinates, that's the one that brings forth life. It takes that vulnerability, that trust, that, that God-given power of resurrection that he has placed within that seed is going to germinate and bring forth fruit. And so I want to challenge all of us to trust, to fall down, to die, to not to, to, to seek out suffering, but when there is suffering, that as we passionately serve the Lord, there is suffering involved because when you're vulnerable, when you love like Paul loved, you will suffer. To embrace that suffering and to allow God trust that God will bring the fruit out of it and especially those who don't know him to embrace even dying to what seems like staying safe and in control and 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 avoiding pain as the ultimate problem don't believe that it's not true being alone and empty and die and dried up and shriveled as a shell uh, and as apart from God that's the ultimate problem if you try to avoid pain, your, your life will be alone and empty. But as you embrace even dying to your own control and trust God to resurrect you, you will experience a fullness that no one will, um, that you will never regret. With that, we conclude this morning's service.